Welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. So glad you're here. I want you to uh, meet again the person to your right or left and just share with them. If I didn't have to be in Houston, Texas today, this is where I would like to be. It may be the Bahamas. It may be on a cruise. It may be in Winter Park, Colorado. So if you could be anywhere in the world today, where would you want to be? Share that with your neighbor. We're starting a new series today here in Spring Branch. I actually already started it in Cyprus called Flourish about the church and the things of God. And at the same time, our other teaching pastors will be walking you through some of the more popular proverbs. But I wanted to just to spend a couple of months talking about the church. And, and every Sunday that we come together, uh, you're going to hear only half of those messages because the other half I will do out in Cyprus. But I really encourage you to go to our podcast. We've made it super easy uh, so that these are the only messages on there right now. So you can catch the ones that you've already missed. Uh, but we're going to start uh, every one of these messages with the same two scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 and Psalm chapter 92 Uh, verse 13. And so I want to read those together. You'll see them on the screen behind me. Let's just read these out loud together. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then Psalm 92, speaking about the righteous, they are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Now you may have noticed a progression there. We start out as aliens and strangers. I know it's a very popular sentiment right now that uh, we are all the children of God, and that's so beautiful, and it makes my heart warm. It's, It's not true. We are all born the creations of God, but the ability to be a son or daughter of God is actually a right that's given to you when you believe in Jesus, according to John chapter 1, verse 12. And so we start out as strangers and aliens to the family of God. But then we move into the household of God, into his house, into his family, when we put our faith in Christ. And then there's a progression from just being a part of the household, a part of the family, into being planted, that we would have roots. You know, the way that you, you know you have roots, I think, very practical, is that you are not the first one to leave church on Sunday mornings. You know, some of us are the last ones here, and we're the first ones to leave. As soon as the final amen is said, it's, in fact, some of us don't even wait till the final amen. We, like, sneak out during the hand-holding part because you get weirded out by that, you know. Especially if I talk a long time, and you're, like, holding some stranger's hand for five minutes, you know. So we try to get out to the car as fast as possible. But the way that you know that you are a part of a family is that you linger, You just hang around, that you talk, that you catch up with people. They catch up with you. So I just want to challenge us in this next couple of months as we're doing this series together that you would not be the first one to leave on Sunday mornings after the service is over. 
Now, that may mean that there's a huge, real awkward line out there in the parking lot going, you go first. No, you go first. No, I'm not going first. He said, don't be the first one. You be the first one. But we will get to know each other even doing that. You want to plant yourself. You want to put down roots. And when you put down roots like a tree, you're going to bear fruit. There should be something around here that has your name on it. Your fingerprints should be a part of something going on here. Maybe it's that you volunteer in our kids' ministry. It is the kingdom of God. Jesus made that so clearly that the children are where the kingdom is. And if we want to get into the kingdom, then we've got to become like the children. So if you think that this room is the main event on Sunday morning, you are wrong. And you need to go and volunteer with our kids' ministry. But you may be over there and you may be plugging away. You may be pouring out your guts, opening up the scripture to them. And all they want to talk about is SpongeBob SquarePants. And they just want to talk about video games. And you've got a bunch of nine-year-old little boys just chasing each other around like little squirrels in human bodies and you're just pouring out your guts and you're like let's talk about the word and they're like I want to talk about this favorite game of mine on Xbox right now or they want to play your phone because that's all that kids do on right now but then you ask them a question this week and in the midst of all that squirrelness they they give you the answer that you were looking for and that's got your fingerprints on it That's your life bearing fruit here. Where is your fruit here in this house? And if you look around and you're like, I mean, I don't don't think anything. I mean, I think my fruit is this seat that I sit in every single week. This is my fruit. Then maybe it's because you're not planted. Maybe you're not lingering long enough. Maybe you're not giving people time to know you and for you to know them. Maybe it's that you're just a part of the household and you've never really thought about planting yourself in any house. Maybe you've been jumping from church to church to church based on kind of what's new and fresh. Maybe you just became a Christian and you didn't know that you were supposed to plant yourself in the house of God. Or maybe today it's because you are a stranger to the the family. Not that you're a bad person, but just you've not been adopted. But where are you at in that progression? Last week in Cyprus, I talked about the church and our priorities. Because all of us are busy. If you're busy, say amen. Amen, absolutely. We're all busy. We're all busy with work. We're all busy with our you know, uh, family stuff, extended family, moms and dads. And we're busy with our hobbies, sports, play golf. I like to hunt. I mean, I don't, but you may because you're a man and, um, <laughs> or a woman, you know, equality. Um, you know, we're, we're busy with rest because we do all these things and we got to rest. And then you've got, maybe you've got kids and kids is a big one. It's a huge one. Everything revolves around the kids. And then you've got all the kids stuff. You've got the kids sports. You had your sports, but then you've got the kids sports, which is on a whole nother level. Then you've got the kids school. You didn't know this. If, if you don't have kids that are in elementary age school, you actually go to school with them. You don't actually go and get the recess and the snacks, but you get all the homework. So you got to learn all the things that they're learning. And what they're learning is way different than the way that you learned it. And the teachers want you to show your work so you can't just say, well, that answer's 10. Just write down 10. You need to go to bed. The answer's 10. They're like, i got to show my work. And so you got to figure out what work to show. And it's different than the work that you had to show when you were 8 years old. And so the kids' school is now your school, and it's a big one. And then, you know, you've got your job, and your job is a big thing because money's an important thing. And just we're all busy. And nothing 
about what we're going to say this morning is going to change any of that. You're still going to have a full table when you leave. The problem, though, is that you're at church. So I'm guessing somewhere in your mind you thought that church was important to come to. But because we are so busy, we don't have any room left in our lives, church kind of gets just balanced over here barely. And it's just kind of hanging on. And you'll give an hour and 15 minutes, not because you think it's an hour and 15 minutes important, but because that's all you've got time for. And if it starts to go an hour and a half, you get antsy. And I can tell. (laughs) And then, because church is just barely hanging on, how many of these excuses do you need to miss it? You know, hey, I got sports. And we're tired because of sports. So we can't come today. I had a long day at work on Friday and Saturday wasn't enough rest for me so I can't come the kids school is super busy so I can't come to a community group we got baseball practice and we're tired after baseball practice So I can't serve. And that's great. I mean, that's beautiful and that's true. But Ephesians chapter 5, this is a review from the message last week, which you're going to go and listen to online. Ephesians chapter 5, it says that Jesus loves the church. In fact, he loves the church so much that he gave up his own life for the church maxed out the very blood in his veins for the church so here was the summary of last week's message let's not give our least to what Jesus gave his most to maybe it's time for us to stop giving the bare minimum to what Jesus gave his maximum the church and my priorities and this week we're going to talk about the church and the fame of Jesus turn to Matthew chapter 17 I want to share a story with you have you ever met anybody famous remember when the Super Bowl was here in Houston a few years back when a Super Bowl comes into town it's ground zero for people all over the world and for famous people. Amanda and I, Saturday before the Super Bowl, decided to go to the Galleria. I don't know why we decided to go to the Galleria. That was the season of our marriage where we had to pray about it before we bought a shirt because the shirt was like one-fourth of all of our assets. You know, (laughs) we just had zero dollars and you're figuring out like, do we have to list this on our income statement? You know, just we didn't have any money. And, uh, and so, but we're at the Galleria and we're in the J Crew, and I'm back in the men's section thinking about what I'm going to buy one day when I got more than, you know, $100 in the bank account. And I look over at this guy and I totally recognize his face. 
I'm thinking, do I know him from church? You know, what, where do I know him from? Like, I know this guy, I know this guy, I know this guy. And then it dawns on me. I've seen him on TV. And more than TV, I've seen him in movies. He's one of those guys that's in everything, but he's never like the main guy. So you only know his face. You don't know his name. You know what I'm talking about? So I'm staring at him because that's what I do in strange places. I just stare at strange people. Because I'm thinking, what's my response now? I got to have a response. I'm in the J. Crew with a famous person and I got to do something. I can't do nothing. That's not an option. I got to do something. Just what something is appropriate. Is it appropriate to go over to him and get an autograph? He's not that famous. Is it appropriate to be like, I really enjoyed you and that one thing I saw you in, but I can't remember what it is now because it wasn't that good. But, you know, it was, is it that? Is it like, what's your name? Because that's kind of offensive. You know, sometimes that happens here at church. They're like, now tell me your name again. And I'm like, my name's Curtis. And they're like, where? We really love you. And I'm like, I can tell. Thank you very much. So I wasn't going to do that. I've had my feelings hurt that way. What's the right response? I want to do something. What, what to do? And about that time, he looks over at me. And now we're just locked in because I've been staring at him the whole time. And now it's too late. I got to go with a plan. I didn't have a full formulated plan, but I had to go with whatever I had. And so I just went. And he smiled real big because in that moment, not only were our eyes connecting, our souls were connecting (laughs) because the only difference between he and I was that he actually went to LA and tried it and now he's famous. And obviously if I had done that, then I would be famous and we would be best friends. And all that was communicated in that gaze. And then I just walked out like a boss. shirtless obviously no no purchase was made so we get out into the main corridor of the galleria and we're walking to the parking lot or wherever we're going i'm probably praying that we're not stopping in any more stores because that's what men do and uh, all of a sudden this this young woman just just races past us like running and and then a minute later somebody else just right by us. And we look over across the way and more people running. And then the more people that run, the more people run. And now we're kind of all walking fast. I don't know where we're going, but we're all going (laughs) somewhere. And I stop at one of those kiosks, you know, where the person that works, there just standing out there in the middle of the corridor. I'm like, where are we going? Where are all these people going? And they said that some famous musician rapper had locked down the Louis Vuitton and was having a personal shopping session. And so I'm like, well, let's go see it. I don't know who this is, and I've never been in Louis Vuitton ever, but let's go see it. And so we get over there, and there's this massive amount of people. The doors are locked, and they're just trying to get a peek at this famous rapper and musician. And so I'm trying to get a peek in there, you know. Like, I don't know one song of theirs, but I'm trying to get in there because this person is ultra famous. Because there's a difference. There's the head nod famous, like I acknowledge that, this is what you do for a living. And then there's a, I'm going to dead sprint through the Galleria to just get a peek at this person. There's all kinds of different fame. And if you've met a famous person, they're on that scale somewhere between head nod and dead sprint. And what we're rallying around today is that Jesus of Nazareth 
is the most famous person who has ever lived. And that's not debatable. You may be like, well, I don't believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter. You cannot debate that Jesus of Nazareth is the most famous and influential person who has ever lived. I mean, think about even the way that he was born. When he was born, the king of his country was so freaked out by his potential fame that he started murdering people to prevent Jesus from stepping in to that spotlight. When Jesus was born, angels descended down from heaven to declare it on earth. When your beloved princess was born, you sent out an email. When Jesus was born, angels came to earth. Then they told the shepherds, the shepherds left their flocks and came to see Jesus. They left their livelihood. They entrusted their whole job to one or two people so that they could go and see this famous baby that was born. Nature moved at the fame of Jesus. The star leads the wise men, the magi from their country. And these were not like just, you know, people kind of twiddling their thumbs looking for something to do. These were important people and influential people in their own country. But the fame of Jesus was such a magnet that it moved the stars to move them from their country all the way in to Bethlehem. Jesus of Nazareth is the most famous person who has ever lived, and it's more than just that he was well known. He has a glory and honor that is unrivaled and unparalleled. Verse 1, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So he takes them on what many biblical scholars and historians believe is Mount Tabor. It's in Galilee. It's a flat plain with this giant dome of a mountain kind of all alone. They built a church on top of it now to commemorate this event. And he takes them up there. And it was a significant hike. If you go and Google the picture, you'll be able to, to see that. Four things that happen up on this mountain that I want you to write down this morning. Number one, Jesus had glory since the beginning. Verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So they make it on top of this mountain, and something begins to happen. Jesus was changed. But he wasn't changed into something new. He was actually changed into something old, how he had been. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, The word, referring to Jesus, was with God in the beginning, And was God in the beginning. So Jesus has had glory since the beginning. And we see that as Jesus would break in occasionally into the Old Testament. Like in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham, patriarch of God's people, is in his tent. He sees these three men off in the distance. And he, he sprints from his tent to these three men. And to one of them specifically, he separates and singles out and starts begging for the favor of God to be on his life from this singular person in this group of three. And he refers to this singular person in the group of three in the way that he would normally talk to God, which leads most of us to believe this is Jesus making an Old Testament appearance. And Abraham is begging for his favor and worshiping him. 
Same thing happens in Joshua. Joshua is getting ready to lead the Israelites against Jericho, a well-fortified city, and he's stressed out, and he's kind of doing what leaders do when they're stressed out. He's getting alone. As he's alone, he sees off in the distance this mighty figure with a sword drawn, and he goes over, and he falls down, and he says, essentially, are you for us, or are you for our enemy? And there's not even a response. The only response is, I am the commander of the Lord's army, and Joshua worships him, which is something that they didn't do to angels, leading us to believe this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. The most famous one that you'll be familiar with is in Daniel. Three Hebrew young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, standing in a whole company of their countrymen in Babylon. The king has built a huge statue and said, I want you to worship me By worshiping the statue, we're going to strike up the band. And when the band strikes up, then everybody bows down. And if you don't bow down and worship the statue, which is really worshiping me, then I'm going to throw you in a furnace and you're going to burn to death. Band strikes up. Everybody falls down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King gives them a second chance. They're like, we don't need a second chance. You do whatever you got to do. We're going to do what we got to do. And we're not worshiping your statue. So he gives them a second chance. They don't worship the statue. So he takes them. And guards throw them into this furnace. And the furnace is so hot that the guards actually die as they're throwing them in there. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not consumed by the fire. And the king is freaking out. And he says to the guards that didn't die, I thought there was only three of these guys. And they're like, there were three of these guys. And he says, well, why do I see a fourth one walking in there with them? And the fourth one looks like the son of God's. Jesus making an Old Testament appearance as he put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego underneath his shepherd's protection in the fiery furnace. Jesus has had glory since the beginning. But Philippians chapter 2 says, in order for our salvation to happen, Jesus had to set that glory aside. It says he had to empty himself, which means that he had to lay aside the privilege of that glory and honor so he could be born just like you and I were born. So that there wouldn't be a moment in your life or my life where we would say to God, you don't understand what it's like to be tempted. Because Jesus understands what it's like to be tempted. There wouldn't be a moment in our life where we could shake our fist at God and say, how could you do this? Why won't you answer my prayer? Why have you rejected me? I'm all alone. You give everybody else everything that they want except for me. And Jesus' response says, even I didn't get my very last request of the Father when I said, If there's any way, let this cup pass from me. And in order for Jesus to sympathize with us, he had to lay aside his glory before a brief moment up on top of this mountain with Peter, James, and John. He gets to put it back on. The second thing that I want you to write down is that Jesus is greater than the greatest religious leaders. Jesus is greater than the greatest religious leaders. You know, I think that we over-inflate our religious leaders. I remember when I was in college, I was going to a Bible college, and so we would have chapel, which is like forcing people to come to church, so everybody was really excited to be there. And uh, I-, I wanted to be a pastor and minister even in those days, and so I would always envy the chapel speakers. And I would think, man, these guys have arrived, you know, and these ladies, like they're, they're coming to speak to all these students. Like, this is how you know that you've made it as a minister. And then a couple of years ago, I got invited to speak at 
chapel at my university, and I was like, oh, so they're just normal people, <laughs> just like me. So not that impressive in hindsight, you know. So we overinflate our religious leaders, but there are important religious leaders, just like Jesus is going to talk to here. Verse 3, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So Moses and Elijah appear on this mountain as Jesus is transfigured. He's put back on this glory. I wonder what it was like. Was it like they were catching up as old friends? Were Moses and Elijah saying to Jesus, man, we've been watching you and you are killing it. You are doing amazing. We saw when you fed the 5,000 out of just those you know, few pieces of fish and bread, that was the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Or were they like, man, you healed the centurion servant. You didn't even have to go to his house. You just healed that guy from across town. That was amazing. Elijah over here could never do that. He had to actually go in person. But you're healing this guy from across town. Were they like, we've been watching and we cannot stand these Pharisees and Sadducees and these other religious punks. You know, is it okay if we say that we hate them? Is that all right? I don't know. I mean, what was their conversation like? And these are great, great men. You know, to us, they're just great men of the Old Testament. They become characters like any story that we might read. But for the Israelites... In Jesus' time, these were more than just characters in old stories. They were symbols of God's relationship with his people. Every day, they had Moses with them through the law because Moses was the one who received the law. So they were always talking about Moses as they were talking about doing God's will. And they were always looking for Elijah to return because there were these rumors that before the true Messiah would come, Elijah would also come. And so they're always talking about Moses. They're always talking about Elijah. And here they are. And then look what happens in verse 4. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. Now, a little, little pastoral sidebar here. When you get to heaven whether Jesus returns and he makes all things new or you pass away and you are immediately in the presence of God. When you get to heaven, you're going to have access to Jesus. This is a great thing. Last week, I I did a little said hello to you via video from an event down at the Toyota Center called Passion and I got to play a a role there. And based on the role that I had there, I got a pass. Now, everybody had a pass, but mine had this double A on it, which means all access. So I was rolling awesome last weekend, getting to walk in the bow of the Toyota Center. And every once in a while, they'd have these people stationed just to make sure that they just weren't letting anybody in through, you know, these things. And they would ask for your badge. And I always kept mine in my pocket so I could go, boom, double A, all access. This is what's happening. And when you get to heaven, this is what you get. You won't need a pass because everybody gets access to Jesus. Everybody gets access to the Father. Can you imagine a father saying, I will see this son, but I'm not interested in seeing this son. Or I want to spend time with this daughter, but I don't want to spend time with this daughter. No, everybody gets access. So, but a little helpful hint, if you can tuck this away and remember it when you're glorified in the presence of God. When you get to heaven... And you want to have a face-to-face with Jesus. If you walk up and there he's talking to Peter and Paul and Moses and Elijah's representing there and Daniel's there and Ezekiel is hanging out. If all those guys are together, don't walk up there and go, hey, it's good that I am here. (laughs) Don't do it. 
Don't do it. That's what Peter does. In the presence of Jesus, in the presence of Moses and Elijah, he has the audacity to say, it's a good thing that I am here on top of this mountain. And why does he say that? Because he wants to build some stuff. And this is what he wants to build. If you wish, I will make these tents, uh, three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. What he's saying is, I don't want this to be temporary. I want this to be permanent. I want to know, and more than I want to know, I, all of God's people would love it if, if Jesus, you would be on this top of the mountain permanently, and Moses, you would have a place here on top of this mountain, and Elijah, you would have a place here, and it, it would just be perfect if all three of you could have a dwelling up here, and any time that we need you, we could just come and see you. And what Peter is saying is that there's some equality here, which is a Jewish thinking at this time. I mean, they had high expectations for Jesus, but I'm not sure that they had Moses and Elijah expectations for Jesus at this time. So in his mind, he is paying Jesus a huge compliment. I'm speaking to you, but why don't you dwell up here with not just heroes of our faith, but the foundations of our faith, Moses and Elijah. You know, there are all kinds of religious leaders in our world to look to. You have Confucius, which some people look to. He was really the first one to say that if you live a high and pure moral life, that is the path to happiness. You have Krishna, who didn't found Hinduism, but is really its most famous leader. They believe that he was the incarnate trinity of Hinduism. You have Buddha, you have Muhammad, and you this morning may be on a search for truth. And you're currently evaluating all the options out there. These are the pros and these are the cons. Here's what resonates, here's what doesn't resonate, here's what I'm sure of, here's what I'm not sure of. Or maybe you are a Christian, you believe in Jesus, but probably mostly believe in Jesus because your mom believed in Jesus and when she decided to take you to church, she just happened to take you to a Christian church. And if that's true, then you might be thinking, well, I'm a Christian, but like it's cool if you're something else because we'll probably end up in the same place anyway. And what we're going to see is that the God that's revealed in the Bible does not agree with that thinking. Because this is what he says next. And number three, I'd love for you to write down. The father does not tolerate competitors for his son's glory. Verse five, and he was still speaking. What that means is Peter is still unrolling his plan of three equal tents, one for Jesus, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. And a bright cloud overshadowed them. So not a storm cloud. It did, didn't happen to be storming. A bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Here's my translation as Peter's saying, House for you, and a house for you, and a house for you. Three equal houses. This is perfect. We'll just all come up here. It'll be great. The Father comes out of heaven in a cloud. And in the Old Testament it says, When God speaks out of a cloud, he speaks out of thunders and, and lightnings. And his words, my translation is shut up. 
shut up. This is my beloved son. And he makes me happy. Glad Moses is here. It was my idea to have him come down and encourage Jesus. Glad Elijah is here. Love Elijah. Loved him since the beginning. Knew him before the foundation of the earth. Shut up. This is my beloved son. He makes me happy. And poor Peter. Poor Peter, because he's just reacting out of his culture. He's just reacting out of the teaching that he's received his whole life. Moses is a huge deal. Elijah is a huge deal. And it would be so perfect if he could come down off the mountain and he would have run down the mountain and let everybody know, you guys aren't going to believe this, but Moses is up there and Elijah is up there. And Jesus, who we've been following, he's up there too. All three of them are up there. Let's go. This is perfect. We've got them all together. And I get that. And so do you. What three things in your life would you not want to live without? Let's just for the benefit of the doubt say it's Jesus is on the mountain. But maybe he's on the mountain with your family. And you can't think about living without your family. If you didn't have your family just the way it is right now, then you just can't even deal with it. Maybe it's your job. And partly because of the money and income it provides for you, but also just because you love it. And if you could just have these three things exactly the way that you want them, then it would be perfect. Maybe you hate your job. A lot of people do. But you can't think about living without your friends. Your friends are fun. It's where you get life and enjoyment. And if you could have your friends and your family and Jesus, then that would be a perfect life. Maybe your family's not your thing. Maybe your family's so dysfunctional, they've hurt you in so many different ways. You're like, man, perfect life would be my life without my family, honestly, if I'm being real honest about it. And for you, it's, it's just this well-ordered life, no chaos, no up and downs, just a smooth, predictable stream. And if you can have those three things, smooth and easy, your friends and Jesus, that would be perfect. And listen, I I want you to hear today. I don't want anyone to leave thinking that God wants to turn me into a Jesus robot. He doesn't. You know who invented laughter? That was born in the heart of God eating and drinking, those are all God's ideas. Enjoying friendship and family, the scripture is filled with those things. But when we get to the point where it's like, I can't live without, that's glory talk and honor talk and fame talk. And that's different. And God does not tolerate competitors for his son's glory. 
you may be thinking, well, I know that I've glorified a bunch of different things besides Jesus, and not one time has a bright cloud ever descended on my house. If it did, I would stop doing that thing, I promise, for a week, and then I might, you know, do it again. But God has built into his world that when these things get equal and lifted up with Jesus, they start eroding. Now, I want to give you an example. If you have a little one in here, you might want to cover their ears for just a couple of minutes. But sex is an example of this. A lot of people can't live without sex. And whether they're married or not married, it's just they got to have it. It's just a normal part. And you're like, well, I didn't invent it. It's just the culture I was raised in. It's just, you know, it's irrational for you to think that I'm 29 years old and I'm going to wait until I'm married. I wanted to be married when I was 22 years old, but now I'm here and and this is a part of my life and this is how we're going to see if I'm compatible with this person and and I want to say that God created sex and he made it good but he put it in the context of marriage he did and when you say I need this so much for my life to be exactly what I want it to be that I don't care whether it's in the context of marriage or not I'm I'm going for it what you're saying is glory and honor to this thing. And what will happen is what God meant to give you for your good will now actually harm you. It'll actually start working against you. Because in this particular thing, it says that when sex gets lifted up outside of the context of marriage between a husband and wife, uh, you actually do damage to your own soul. And when you do damage to your own soul, I promise you, you're doing damage to your relationship. And somebody may be like, well, hey, we're committed to one another. You don't know, we're committed, might as well be married. You're not committed. If you were committed, you'd already be married. But you're not. And what you're saying is I gotta have this my way, no matter what, for me to be happy. But it's not just that, it's money, it's work, it's your lifestyle and whatever God has given you for good when it gets lifted up into the glory and honor conversation it starts working against you so if you're wondering man what am I glorifying right now that I don't need to be glorifying on the level of Jesus what tents am I trying to build co-equal with Jesus there's not a bright cloud stop looking for the bright cloud stop looking for what is eroding underneath me what is being undermined even as I try to build it up? God's, God's made it so that he does not tolerate competitors for his son's glory. And then the last thing that I want you to see and write down, at the end, it's only Jesus left standing. At the end, it's only Jesus left standing. Verse six. And when the disciples heard this, They fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. At the end, it's only Jesus left standing. See, God has made Jesus the center of attention from the very beginning. I mean, you think about the cross. Jesus was arrested right outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And 
They brought him into Jerusalem so he could be tried. Jerusalem is the most famous city in the history of the world. Ever since King David captured it in 2 Samuel, it's just been the desire of every nation. The Babylonians fought over it. Jewish people fought over it. The Persians fought over it. The Egyptians wanted it. The Greeks got it. The Romans took it from them. The Arabs wanted it. The Jewish people wanted it again. The Europeans wanted it. Even right now, they're fighting over its soil. Jerusalem is the most famous city in the entire world. And this is where Jesus was brought when he was arrested. This is where he was convicted. And this is where they strapped his execution device on his back and made him carry it outside of the city up onto a hill right outside of the gates. And the reason they put him there is because there was a significant highway for pilgrims to come into the city of Jerusalem. And it was a busy weekend because it was Passover. And so if you were an able-bodied Israelite from anywhere in the world, you were expected to get back to the holy city of Jerusalem to celebrate this holy feast with all of your people. And so people streaming in that road all day long and all night long. And this is where Jesus is led up to. And crucified. Outside the world's most popular city, on its busiest road, on its busiest weekend in the noonday sun for the whole world to see. You know, Gandhi said this, for me, the different religions are beautiful flowers from the same garden or they are branches from the same majestic tree. We are followers of Jesus. We believe that there is only one majestic tree and it is stained with the blood of the Son of God. And from it, all of life flows. Its branches were spread out to carry the weight of his body. At the end, it's only Jesus left standing. Now you may be thinking, well, where am I in all this? Not to change the subject, but you've not really mentioned where I am in all of this, Revelation chapter five. We get a peek into the throne room of God and the throne room is stressed out because God wants to activate his plan of salvation for people like you and me. That was in his heart before he created the garden and he wants to unroll it but no one is worthy to, to start it. No one's worthy to carry the plan. And everybody's weeping and crying. And then it says this in verse six, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits that God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain 
And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Where are we when Jesus is the only one left standing? We are kneeling. We are kneeling. And when you kneel, when I kneel, our selfishness kneels with us. And our rights kneel with us. And our jobs kneel with us. And our kids kneel with us. And their school kneels with us. And our rest kneels with us. And our time kneels with us. And our busy schedule kneels with us. And our other priorities kneel with us. And our extended families kneel with us. And all the demands that they're putting on our life. When we kneel, all of us kneels. And then everything takes its perfect place and right place. As Jesus is the only one left standing. So the simple thing for some of us, we need to reevaluate our lives and What if we built permanent structures that can stand alongside Jesus so that our lives can be perfect? Maybe there's some things in us that need to kneel as we kneel. You're like, well, what about the church? I thought the message of this, you know, today was the church and the fame of Jesus. Well, Jesus goes back to looking like normal and he takes Peter, James, and John back down the mountain and on the way down the mountain, he says to them, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what happened up there until after I've been resurrected. Jesus has been resurrected. So let's go and tell everyone. Father, we thank you for your son. And Jesus, we honor you this morning. I pray right now that you would strike down every competitor that's raging against the glory of your son. Everything that's been lifted up in our hearts and minds. Lord, just pray for there to be a lot of kneeling in our lives a lot of yielding. I pray our busyness would yield to you and to what you care about the most. You have no equal. There is no one like you. In Jesus' name we pray.